We remember in uh, stories, whether that's a book we read or a movie we see, we remember when the villain of the story becomes good. That stands out to us. We, we just are, are surprised and struck by the fact that this person uh, or group of people that were so bad, so evil, so terrible throughout the whole story, at the end, when they turn around and become good and even become the hero of the story, we take note of that. And it stands out and it sticks in our memory. Uh, around Christmas time, we probably think of, of two villains that become good uh, around the Christmas holiday that we're usually uh, focused on them. One is uh, a mean one. Uh, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And uh, also around Christmas time, we have mean, nasty old Ebenezer Scrooge. And uh, both of these characters, I mean, they do a 180, right? They're bad, 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 horrible, despicable, and they turn out to be really, really good, and that's memorable, and it stands out. But more, more than those two, the one that to me takes the prize uh, for the best villain that, that ends up becoming good despite everybody expecting the, the opposite is none other than my favorite, Darth Vader. You just don't get any better than how bad he was, and yet at the very end, he becomes good. I mean, I, I will never forget the first time I saw Return of the Jedi, and I see Luke being electrocuted by the Emperor, and Darth Vader looks down at Luke, and he looks at the Emperor, and you feel the conflict, and then all of a sudden, what does he do? He grabs the Emperor, he picks him up, and he throws him down, and he sacrifices his own life for his son. I mean, you just don't get any better than that. Bad guys becoming good. The villains of the story turning around and even becoming the hero of the story. It's striking and it's unforgettable. And as good as those examples are of that, that concept of bad becoming good and it surprising everyone, none of that compares to the encounter we're looking at today with the the absolute, dramatic, literally miraculous turnaround that took place in the life of this man as he encountered the Savior, the Lord Jesus. We're talking, of course, about Zacchaeus. And I would invite you to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10 is where we're going to be as we continue in our series, Christ Encounters, where we have all summer long to this point, looked at very specific personal one-on-one encounters that Christ had with someone and changed every aspect of their life. These striking encounters. Right now, we're in the category of encounters that deals with, quote, the sinners. The sinners that encountered Christ. People that society had written off, culture had deemed as totally unredeemable, and yet because of their encounter with Christ, they went away changed. And so as we look at Zacchaeus, we're wrapping up this particular category under our series, the category of the sinners. And Luke 19, 1-10 details this encounter. Verse 1, He, that's Jesus, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. We, we talked about Matthew, the disciple, that was a tax collector that Jesus called. But Zacchaeus here, he's a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Chief tax collector, and he was rich. 
We all know the kid's song that was just played for us a few moments ago about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, right? But the reality is that he was a lot like a wee little mafia boss. That's really what he was. Chief tax collectors, they, I mean, they were like the Al Capone of tax racketeering. Uh, you know how the, the gangsters, the mobsters of the 20s and 30s, their big thing was, was setting up rackets where they would shake down people for all kinds of money and they would control land and businesses and, and jack up the, the rent price or the rates and people would have to pay them for protection. Protection of what? Of them. And they would just, they would take everybody for all that they were worth and they'd develop all these different rackets where they manipulated and controlled and skinned money off the top of everything that came in. Uh, that's really how the whole tax collecting thing worked in the first century. Matthew, the disciple that was a tax collector, he would collect taxes for Rome and he would be able, and those with him would be able to set the rate as high up above that minimum tax rate that Rome set, however high they wanted it to be, and they would take the rest. So not only were they considered a traitor by their people because they were working for the enemy, the occupying force, but they were even more of a traitor because they would end up actually robbing from their own people. Well, the chief tax collectors, they were even worse because they had a bunch of tax collectors under them that would not only get rich individually off of their fellow citizens, but then a portion of what they got would go back to the chief tax collector. So he would collect taxes, he would raise the rates, and then he would get money from all the tax collectors under him. So, I mean, it was like a tax cartel that they ran and operated. So in, in certain areas of Jerusalem, Judea, Jericho, all these different areas of, of Middle Eastern life, there would be tax offices and tax booths. And they'd be all, they'd be all over the place, usually at, at port entries. And the chief tax collector would be over a whole region. So, I mean, you can imagine how rich these people would get. And if the tax collector was despised, how much more would a chief tax collector be despised, right? You get the picture? This guy was not on the, uh, the special event list to make sure you notified and invited him to, to any big, huge thing that happened in the communities. Uh, in fact, not only were they despised, but people really treated them as if they, they didn't even exist. I mean, they would just have been invisible to them, except for the times when they uh, would, would despise them and look for any opportunity to treat them badly. So that's Zacchaeus. That's the backstory. I mean, he was actually a pretty dark individual. Uh, his rates were so high, probably, most likely, uh, that because people would not be able to pay whatever he had set, uh, he would be responsible for people even being arrested by Rome, taken away. I mean, think of moms and dads being taken away out of their home and leaving children behind. Think of the poor that were struggling even to get food or to put food in kids' mouths and then still having to come up with money to pay the taxes that just made him rich. So that's the story behind this wee little man and uh, what a man he was. So, a little bit of context there. Verse 3, let's jump back into his story. And it says this about him. He was trying to see who Jesus was, 
But he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. Now, let's give credit where credit is due. Okay, Zacchaeus, we see here, he's not letting his stature or the crowds stop him from being able to see Jesus. I mean, as bad as this guy is, he's wanting to see Jesus. We've got to give him that. I mean, that's a good thing, right? He's got this desire to see Jesus, and, and he's not letting the fact that he can't see over the crowd stop him. He, he didn't give up. He didn't say, oh, well, I really wanted to see Jesus. I really wanted to hear from him, but I guess it's just not meant to be. I guess I'll go back to my tax collecting. No, he didn't, he didn't let that stop him. He was determined to do whatever he needed to do in order to encounter Christ. And we could take some lessons from him in that. I mean, I think a lot of times, I think we often stop too easily in our pursuit of Christ. I think we stop too easily. I think we give up sometimes when that pursuit of Jesus gets a little bit too hard, a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe we, we give up too easily on that. Maybe, maybe we are too weak in our desire to every day encounter the living Christ. The longer you're saved, the less dramatic your salvation seems to you. The less miraculous it can appear. The less overwhelming with joy you get as you think about, about the salvation that you have. The farther you go along in your Christian walk, unfortunately, it's all too easy to weaken in your desire to continue to know and see and hear from and encounter the Lord Jesus. But Zacchaeus, I mean, he was determined. And, I mean, even if it meant breaking the social norms of the day and for a man in his position and risking even further cultural humiliation, he didn't care. I mean, imagine the sight of this short, despised, richly dressed tax collector climbing up a tree and sitting on a branch like a child. I mean, that had to be a great picture. Would love to have seen that. And I don't know how you envision Zacchaeus, but I don't know why. I don't see him as just short. I see him as kind of short and round, you know. It just kind of goes together in my mind. I don't know why. But I just see him, you know, struggling up this tree, and then he's there, and he's leaning out over these branches to see Jesus. And maybe people are getting a, a sight of him too, and they're, they're pointing and they're laughing. He doesn't care. The only thing on his mind at this point is seeing Jesus. Being able to hear from Him. Having some sort of personal encounter with Him. What about us? What about you? What about me? What links are we willing to go to in order to encounter Christ? What links are we willing to go to? Are we willing to break through any obstacle that might be in the way of a real personal relationship with him or does it have to does it have to match all of our perfect little preferences does it have to fit in the box of all of our comforts so in other words 
As long as it's comfortable, as long as it's convenient, yeah, I'll seek you, Jesus. I'll pursue you. Yeah, I want to encounter you as long as... Is that, is that our mindset? Or is it whatever it takes to know you better, Jesus, I'm going to do it. Whatever it takes to see you more, I'm going to do it. If it means I become undignified, if it means that I lose a little bit of street cred, if it means I I get a little bit of humiliation, doesn't matter because my only goal is seeing and knowing you. That's the question I want you to ask yourself today, every day. It's a question I need to ask myself. What links are we willing to go to to encounter Jesus? To know Him. I mean, really know him in a personal way well back with Zacchaeus let's look at verse 5 when Jesus came to the place the place under the tree where where Zacchaeus was leaning out over and looking he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down because today it is necessary it's very important it's urgent for me to stay at your house. That's what, what really Jesus was saying when he said it, it is necessary. He's really saying, this must happen now. It's urgent. And we have no reason to, from the text anyway, to think that Zacchaeus had ever met Jesus before this point. And yet, he doesn't look around and say, hey, who's that, that weird guy up there? He knows him. Calls him by name. Well, why? Because he's not only man, but he's God, right? We see even in this little statement, in this verse, just this tiny little glimpse here, we see the the divinity of Jesus on display. The fact that, yes, he is fully man, but also fully God. And he looks right up and he says, Zacchaeus, I need you to come down. Stop hanging out in the tree. Come down right now because it's absolutely urgent that I stay at your house. Why? Why was it so important? Why was it so necessary that from all the homes that Jesus could have picked to go into and stay, of all the people there gathered around Him, all those crowds that Zacchaeus couldn't see over, couldn't he sure, surely He could have picked out someone else a little more worthy of Jesus' presence, Right? You'd think that would be able to happen. He could have looked around and and just, "Mm, yep, you, you, I'm going to stay at your house today. But he didn't do that. He said, Zacchaeus, it's necessary that I stay at your house. Why? Why was it so important? Why was it so necessary? Well, Jesus didn't come to the home of Zacchaeus because he needed a place to stay. That's, That's not what this was about. It wasn't that Jesus was so desperate for lodging and he knew that Zacchaeus, being a chief tax collector, would have had the nicest house in Jericho. Though that was probably true, that's not what this was about. It was because Zacchaeus needed to see his need for Jesus to come and stay and make his home in his heart and to be the Lord of his life. That's why it was so necessary. That's why it was so urgent. Jesus, in all of His sovereignty, knew here is one sinner 
who needs to see his need for me. And we also know that God had been obviously working in his heart, in Zacchaeus' heart, preparing him for this encounter with Jesus. It's not in the text here, but Scripture and Jesus himself clearly say that if anyone comes to Christ, it was because the Father drew him. Jesus made it very, very clear. He said, no one, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. So the fact that Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, public enemy number one for the Jews, the fact that he was so hungry for an encounter with Jesus, they was willing to climb a sycamore tree, to be further humiliated, to look out and just, just for a glimpse of who Jesus was, that tells us that God was working in this man's heart. And Jesus, of course, knew that. And so he said, it's necessary that I stay with you, not because I need a place to stay, but because you need me to come and stay. You need me to make my home in your heart, Zacchaeus. You need to stop being the Lord of your own life. You need to get down from the throne of your heart and give that throne to me. Well, verse 6. So he quickly came down. Isn't that just, that right there is just a, a great word picture, isn't it? I mean, this short and possibly stout man, you know, quickly trying to climb down these, these branches. And did he fall? I mean, did he, did he fall on his way down? Maybe. I don't know. He was eager. He quickly came down and it says that he welcomed him joyfully. This means he was beside himself with, with joy. Like he was probably, he couldn't even get the words out. He was like, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, like a little kid at Christmas time, you know, and they see those presents. Or it's actually more like this probably. You guys have puppies and dogs, a lot of you. And you know how when you come home from being gone a long time and your dog just goes berserk because you're home? I mean, it's like they, you think they're going to they're gonna explode with joy. Like we have, we have a dog. Um, boy, do we have a dog. Oh, Reese is her name. And as soon as you come home from being gone and you see her, I mean, she starts shaking and it's like her whole body convulses. And you, I mean, it's like you, you, you go to pet her and your hand starts vibrating and you feel like you're operating a jackhammer. I mean, she's so beside herself and she does circles around your legs and she just can't contain her excitement. That's really the idea that's being conveyed here. He was so overwhelmed that Jesus looked his way, looked his direction, saw him that other people would prefer to consider as invisible, knew him by name, and asked him to come and prepare his house because he was going to stay with him. I mean, he, he just was overcome with joy. But then look at the contrast here. That was Zacchaeus' reaction to Jesus saying, come down, I'm going to come and stay with you. Look at the contrast. Verse 7. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. That was their reaction, their response. It wasn't, hallelujah, Zacchaeus is actually going to hear from the Master. Look at this, how great it is. Jesus actually cares about someone like Zacchaeus. Isn't that great? That wasn't their response. It was, who, what? Does he know who he's going home with? 
I mean, does he know the kind of person that that is? Does he know who Zacchaeus is? What is he thinking? And it says, all who saw it. So that means everybody there that witnessed this. Maybe, maybe even the disciples started grumbling about it. I don't know. It doesn't say that, but it's possible. But the crowd didn't seem to like this very much, that here's Jesus willing to actually go and stay with who they considered to be the worst sinner imaginable. Church, we need to be very, very careful. Because, unfortunately, it can be very easy for us to act the same way. And we read this and being the good Christians that we are, we shake our heads and, and you know, think, oh, how terrible of these people to complain that way. Shouldn't they have been rejoicing that Jesus was willing to go with such a sinful person and, and reach Him and possibly change their life? They should, have been, they should have been full of joy too, like Zacchaeus. How, what's wrong with those people? I mean, we say that when we read it. But it is so easy for us, almost automatically, to segment people into certain categories and to write off people as being those people. I mean, let's just be honest. How easy is it to think of certain people, certain individuals, either that you know directly or personally or that you see out in the world, you know, famous type people, government officials, celebrities. How easy is it to think, if you don't say it, but to, to at least think it, well, I don't think they could ever be saved. Come on, you've thought it. You've thought it at once or twice or a dozen times about certain people. Man, they are so wicked. They are so evil. They are so sinful. There is just no way they'd ever become a Christian. Maybe you have been treated so poorly and, and wrongly by someone that if you were really, really honest, you would be fine if so-and-so never actually became a Christian and got what was coming to them because they deserve judgment. If you've ever had that thought, I mean, there should be sirens going off in your mind and in your heart where the Holy Spirit says, um, hello, excuse me, do you know who you are? Every time you're tempted to write someone off as being beyond the reach of redemption, remember that but for miraculous grace and the power of the Spirit of God, every one of us would be beyond the reach of redemption as well. There is not a single person alive that is worthy or deserving of Christ's salvation. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat of needing a Savior and not deserving one. The only thing any of us ever contribute to our salvation is the need to be saved. That's all we've ever brought to the table. So be very careful, Christian, about who you deem as being beyond the reach of redemption or 
or being just too sinful to be saved. The good news is that's not how Jesus thinks. And Zacchaeus and many other people, including yourself, are proof of that. See, Jesus, Jesus sees value in the people that others view as worthless. And isn't that good news? Isn't that great news for you today? Jesus sees value in the people that others view as worthless. And we, we see that on display here in the, in the text. Verses 5-7 through seven show us that. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus there in the tree and he says, hurry up and come down. It's necessary that I come to your house, that I stay with you. And he comes down and he goes off with him and, and just doesn't even pay attention to all those grumblings and complainings. He's just so focused on this one man that he sees value in. He sees value in the people that others view as worthless. And Christian, as his followers, as followers of Christ, that needs to be true of us as well. We need to see value in the people that others around us just view as worthless. Verse 8, look with me at that. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus, so grumble, grumble, complain, complain. This guy's terrible. Doesn't Jesus know that? Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions, which would have been considerable. I'll I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, which would, would be a big, huge, yep. If I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Wow! is quite a bomb being dropped here. And it doesn't seem that very much time has gone by. I mean, he comes down from the tree. He's going with Jesus. Likely, Jesus is now at his house. And it doesn't seem like a whole lot of time has passed when he says this. So after only a short time with Jesus, it became obvious to Zacchaeus that he wasn't just physically short, He obviously realized and admitted that he was coming up short spiritually. And that, amazingly, miraculously, that could actually be changed. He couldn't do anything about his height. Couldn't do anything about his stature. But he could do something about his spiritual stature. And he's realizing and admitting, wow, I'm coming up short here. I'm coming up short where it matters. I'm coming up short spiritually speaking. And hey, I, I can do something about that. We all need to get to the point of realizing and acknowledging how limited we are spiritually and in terms of righteousness as it compares to Jesus. It's really easy to look at our lives and then look at someone else's life and do a comparison and the flesh comes up and says, oh wow, kind of like the Pharisee did in the Gospels account, wow, I'm, I'm really thankful I'm not as bad as they are. Man, isn't it good that, that I've walked with Jesus as long as I have? Oh, I, I would hate to be in their situation. But we need to all realize that next to Jesus, we're all microscopic when it comes to righteousness, holiness, goodness. Zacchaeus is realizing that. 
and he's realizing that can all be changed. What he realized is what Jesus said himself in Matthew 6.24. Zacchaeus is definitely seeing this now. His eyes are being opened to this fact. He's, he's becoming aware of how true this is, what Jesus said in this other account, in another time, in another encounter. Matthew 6.24 records Jesus saying, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And obviously from Zacchaeus' statement here and his, his dramatic change, he's seeing that, he's realizing that, he's understanding that. And he's understanding that not only does Jesus find value and see value in in the people that others see as worthless, not only that, but he's seeing and he's experiencing that Jesus wants to change what we chase. Jesus wants to change what we chase. And we see that in verse 8. We see a, a dramatic, undeniable switch in this man. That he's gone from trying to amass all the personal wealth that he can and, and chasing possessions and, and riches at the expense of those around him, manipulating his fellow Jewish person and, and not caring at all about what it does to them, only thinking about himself. We see him going from that to, hey, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Think of the end of A Christmas Carol with Scrooge. Remember what he did? He did the, kind of the same thing. Think about that. That's what we see. If I've extorted anything from anybody, I'm going to pay back four times as much. We see that Zacchaeus is understanding that Jesus wants to change what we chase, and he's allowing himself to be changed. Christian, we need to do the same thing every single day. We need to let Jesus change what we chase. So let me ask you, what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are you pursuing all these other things? Is it Jesus and? Jesus wants to change what we chase and He wants, he wants us to chase after Him first and foremost. See, all of Zacchaeus' pursuit of personal wealth and comfort it had left him empty. It had left him miserable because he wasn't pursuing Christ. And that's going to be true for all of us. Only Jesus can fill us up and give us what we're really looking for. It's not going to be found in, in your spouse as great as they are, as, as valuable and, and cherished as they need to be. It's not going to be found in your spouse. It's not going to be found in your kids. It's not going to be found in your house. It's not going to be found in your car. It's not going to be found in all the vacations you go on. It's not going to be found in your health. It's not going to be found in your self-image. Nothing that you're really looking for for fulfillment and satisfaction can be found in anyone other than Jesus. And so if we look to anyone else or anything else, we're just going to come up empty. We're going to come up short. That was Zacchaeus' story. Before he encountered Jesus. That was his B.C. His B.C. life. Miserable and empty. Purposeless. 
But the story didn't end there. (laughs) The story didn't end there, and the story doesn't have to end for anybody there. Look at what verse 9 says, and this is in response to what Zacchaeus had so boldly and amazingly declared in verse 8. Verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. In other words, hey, everybody, you're quick to consider him as, as not even worthy of being considered a fellow Jew because of how he's treated you and how he goes about making his living and, and being a traitor in your mind. And you don't even consider him one of you anymore. But he too is the son of Abraham. He too is important. He too has value. And today, salvation has come to his house. And it wasn't because of the works that Zacchaeus was going to do. That's not why Jesus said salvation came. It was because salvation came into his life and into his heart as Zacchaeus obviously opened his life up to Jesus. That's what resulted in Zacchaeus saying what he he did and being willing to make those changes. The declaration of Zacchaeus in verse 8 is a result of the salvation that came into his life that Jesus says here in verse 9. Salvation has come to this house. Verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. As if answering all those murmurs and complaints and grumbling of the crowd as Jesus went home with Zacchaeus. What is he thinking? Why is Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house? Here's the answer, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The whole reason for the Messiah's mission is wrapped up in that verse. That's the whole point of Jesus' coming. To seek and to save the lost, the sinner. And Christian, we were commissioned. We were commissioned, you know, the Great Commission. Before Jesus went back to His Father, He commissioned not just His immediate disciples there, but all disciples in every age, everybody that would become a follower of Christ, that's you and me too, we were commissioned to do the same thing. To seek the lost, to seek the sinner, and to bring them to the One that will save them. The whole reason for the Messiah's mission, and it needs to be the whole reason for our mission as well. Zacchaeus' name meant pure one. That's what Zacchaeus means. So really, we should feel free to name our kids that. You know, not a lot of people, if any, name their children Zacchaeus, but they could. They should. It means pure one. And up to the point of encountering Jesus, that certainly wasn't true. And I'm sure people enjoyed the irony of that because they would have known his name means pure one, and here he is, a chief tax collector, the opposite of purity, but that's what his name meant. But now, now, after encountering Jesus, (laughs) now he would finally live up to that name. Now he'd finally be able to live up to that name. Now he really was pure one. All because of his life-altering encounter with Christ. Isn't it great to know that when you meet Jesus, when you encounter the living Christ, no matter what stain has been on your name, He changes your name to pure one? Isn't that amazing? Are are you glad for that today? 
no matter what you've carried with your name, no matter what your name has been full of, if you encounter Christ, you get a name change. And it's changed to pure. To purity. You see, salvation results in transformation. Salvation results in transformation. When, when someone is really saved, they're going to really change. And that's, that's how you know the salvation was real. That it was, was absolutely genuine. Because if someone is, is really saved, they're going to really change. And so the reverse is a good indicator. If someone hasn't really changed, then no matter what they say in their, in their speech, no matter what their lips say about, about themselves, oh yeah, I, I know I'm a Christian. I, I know I'm right with God. If the lifestyle doesn't show some change, then those words are just hollow and empty. I'm not talking about being able to always know what's in everybody's heart. I mean, I can't do that. You can't do that. That's not what I mean. But what we can do is look at a life and say, okay, B.C., before Christ, they were this way. They were this type of person. They've encountered Christ by their own admission. They say they've met the living Christ. Okay, how has their life changed by that? And we need to ask the same things of ourselves. We need to look inward and say, okay, I can say all day long, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, yay! I love Jesus. But has my life changed after this supposed encounter that I had with them? And, and this is really important, everybody listen, is it still changing? You see, there's this thing that we, we often look past in our Christian walk called progressive sanctification. That means the more I go with Christ in my life, the longer I live, I am progressing towards being made more like Jesus and less like me. And so, has my life changed? Has there been a transformation of any kind? And am I continually changing and transforming? That is a marker, an undeniable marker, of salvation. And that's what we see with Zacchaeus, right? That's what you see. You see him going from chief tax collector, greedy, corrupt, manipulative, to Jesus, you came into my house. You came into my life. You're sitting on the throne now. And as a result, I don't need all this stuff. There's so many people out there who need what I have and I can give it to them. I'm going to give half of all my possessions. And if I have personally wronged and cheated anybody, I'm going to make it right. Oh, am I going to make it right? I, I, I'm not going to just do the minimum that's expected by law. I'm going to go way over. Not because I'm trying to earn your favor, Jesus. Not because I'm trying to earn salvation, but because I have salvation. And I can't help but do this now. You see the difference? Because Zacchaeus was now truly saved, it resulted in, in those actions. It's what James says. Faith without works is useless and dead. It's not because works save, it's because works prove salvation is there. And that's what we see on display here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 
One of the one of the best statements that the Apostle Paul ever made under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If anyone, and that's key, that's huge, if anyone, even the Zacchaeuses of the world, even the the fill-in-the-blank of the person that you think there is no way they could ever come to Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, look, the new has come. Is that your story today? Praise God if it is. And if it is, let the fact that your name is in that anyone column, let that motivate you to go out and bring the other anyones into Christ, that they too might be made a new creation. That's our mission. Let's be on it. Let's be on mission in that way. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank You, Father, for Your Word. Thank You for Zacchaeus' example to us. Thank You that no one is beyond the reach of Your redemption. No one. No one is beyond the reach of Your redemption. Thank You, Father. Thank You for this encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. And thank You that we, through Your Word and through Your Spirit, we're able to kind of go back and be with Zacchaeus up on that tree branch. We're able to to hang out over that tree branch with him and, and see Jesus passing by. And we're able to kind of, in a way, hear, like Zacchaeus did, the voice of your son saying to him, Zacchaeus, get down. Come on, hurry. It's necessary that I come to your house. And because of your Word, it's, it's like we're able to sit there in Zacchaeus' home and hear what Jesus said to him. And and we're able to slowly see the change that came over his life as he heard Jesus, as he listened. We're able to see Zacchaeus jump up with excitement and say, thank you, thank you Jesus for changing me. Now now I'm I'm going to be changed. And here's proof. Look what I'm going to do. Oh, thank You for the way, Jesus, that You change any life that truly comes to You. Thank You for not excluding us. Keep changing us. Please, keep changing us. And as Your whole mission was to seek and to save the lost, help us who have been found by You to be on mission, to seek and to save those who have not yet come, not by anything we do, but by bringing them to You. Thank You for being the Savior You are. And it's in Your name I pray. Amen.